I'm Reverend Angela Wells-Bean. I'm your minister for congregational care. We are thrilled to have you worshiping with us on this September Sunday. Whether you are with us in person here in Naples or worshiping with us remotely wherever you are, we are thrilled to have you. And I'd like to extend a special welcome to our communities at Arbor Trace and at Bentley Village that are gathered and are worshiping with us this morning as well. Welcome to you. And my name is Mark Williams, your senior minister here at Naples UCC. What a joy it is to be with all of you in worship today. If you'll take a moment to pass the blue registration pads down the pew, this is our opportunity to be able to connect with you. And if you're worshiping online this morning, I hope you'll take a chance to let us know where you are worshiping from. We have a number of different opportunities and ways to get involved in the life of our church family that are in your bulletins this morning, but I do want to highlight two that are happening today. Following our worship service at 1130 in Nelson Hall, Angela and I are going to be hosting a prospective new member luncheon. If you're here today and you're interested in learning more about Naples UCC or interested in formally uniting with the church and becoming a member, we would love to have you for lunch today at 1130. And then later this afternoon, for the first time during the school year, our middle school and high school youth will be meeting for their youth group time together. That's at 4 o'clock later this afternoon, and folks are meeting in the gathering place. Awesome. Two wonderful things going on in the life of our church this morning. But we've got more things coming up this week. On Tuesday, September 12th, we have a social soiree. That's an opportunity for folks to get together at a local restaurant, support a local business, eat some good food, and also have really good conversation with other church members. That is on Tuesday at uh, 5 o'clock at uh, Uncle Julio's here in Naples. And so if you want to go to that, you can sign up in the gathering place with Chelsea, or you can call the church office, or you can just show up because we make room for everybody. So that's on Tuesday afternoon. That's all we have for you this morning. So let us center our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship. Where two or three are gathered, Christ is present among us. Whether we're friends or foes, Christ is present among us. Whether we're Gentiles or tax collectors, Christ is present among us. Whether we're in person or online, Christ is present among us. Come, let us worship our God who is among us. Honoring that God is indeed here, we unite our hearts and voices together in an invocation printed in our bulletins. Thank you, God for delighting in us even now, for forgiving us our slow action, our silence and our weariness, for empowering our work and inviting us once again to create with you the beloved community you long for. Amen. As we move into a time of prayer together, we do so remembering that tomorrow is September 11th. And the latter portion of my prayer today does commemorate that tragic event in all of our lives. Let us pray. God of love and light, we thank you today for your hopeful presence in our lives 
and for the presence of those who share in our faith journey. We give you thanks for friends and family who share our lives and share our pews, for the kindness they show, for the encouragement they bring, and for the patience they bear. We are grateful. But as we seek to live life together and be of one mind, we confess to you, O God, that we are not perfect. Conflict arises. Unity can seem far off. Strife exists. Discord happens. And when it does, O God, give us the courage to seek oneness of mind, reconciliation, and wholeness. May you grant us the courage to speak truth to one another, all the while abiding in your grace. God of history, tomorrow, September 11th, we remember events that shook and changed our lives forever. We remember the dust and the smoke, the despair and the grief. We remember that sense of vulnerability and shock. We remember the numbness that overwhelmed us as many watched screens for hours and hours, waiting for an explanation and an understanding that never came. We remember the heroes, those who rushed to help, who guided the wounded down innumerable flights of stairs, who rose to overwhelm those who held death in their hands. We remember the hours and the days of binding wounds and healing hurts, giving comfort in drying tears. We remember words of support and compassion from nations far and wide. We remember in part, O oh God, because we still feel the echo of that tragic day continue to impact our world. We wonder, O oh God, if there will ever be an end to violence, to war, to hatred, to death. Partner with us to seek justice and peace. Give us, O oh God, the ministry efforts to ensure comfort in the lives of those who mourn with any loss. May we seek justice and peace where it is within our ability, and may we rely on you when the ability escapes us. May we continue to build what has been torn down. May we mend what has been broken, and may our lives of love and peace continue to bring about your kingdom of heaven here on earth. Together we pray in the spirit of Christ Jesus, the one who taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If you'd like to follow along with the words in your bulletin, you certainly may. Hear now these words. 
If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So federal elections... When I just said those words, you might have shuddered a little bit. I would argue to say that federal elections don't bring out our highest and best selves. There's vitriol and fighting, mudslinging, partisanship, people retreating to their corners. The process by which we elect our representatives in the legislative and the executive branch, it can be kind of messy. But you know what can be even uglier than federal elections? Local elections. If you've ever lived in a small town, you might have had experience with this. If you live in Collier County, you might have had experience with this, with the election of county commissioners and school board members, because you have all of the elements of national politics, right? The partisanship, the bickering, the fighting, the mudslinging, but it's local. And so you know each other, and you're in the same community together, and you share space together, and it's more personal, and it can hurt. So many of you know that before coming to serve here, I was the pastor of the UCC Congregational Church in Burlington, Massachusetts. It is a small town, about 20,000 people, and it's a suburb of Boston. And this town is governed by a town moderator and a select board. They don't have a mayor and city council. So while I was there, one election season came around and the term for town moderator was up. And so the town moderator was running for re-election and that person was a member of the church I served. And that person's campaign manager was the member of the church I served. And there was someone who was challenging the town moderator, trying to upset the incumbent and wanted that spot. And and the challenger was a member of the church (laughs) I served. (laughs) And their campaign manager was a member of the church I served. All four people, one congregation. Now, I wish I could tell you that because we are Christians and, you know, we have the fruits of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, love, peace, joy, gentleness, goodness, forbearance, hope, self-control, that this was the most loving and affirmative campaign there ever was. Alas, we're still human. And to be human is to sin against one another, right? And to be competitive and to want to win and to harm each other. And just because we go to a church and we call ourselves Christians, those elements of our humanity don't just go away. And so at one point in this campaign for town moderator, the campaign manager of one of the campaigns comes to me and they said, 
This has gotten out of hand. The other campaign is spreading lies and misinformation, and they're trying to sabotage us. And you need to talk to that candidate and their manager and tell them enough is enough. So I say, you're right. I mean, these are pretty heavy accusations. And if this is really the case, then this problem needs to be addressed. But I'm not going to be the one to do it. I said, I will be in the room, but you all need to talk to each other directly. Well, this campaign manager was nothing if not upset with me, which is a totally normal response. I did not hold it against them because most humans don't like conflict, right? It makes us uncomfortable and icky. That conflict avoidance is really popular, except I think for when we're behind computer screens and keyboards, then apparently all bets are off and people love conflict. But when you're in the same room together, people get really squirmy about addressing the issue at hand, right? We'd rather just ignore it, literally brush it under the rug. It'll go away. So this campaign manager wanted me to do the work of going to the other campaign and telling them to cut it out. So we have all of these guidelines in the New Testament about how to live in Christian community together. We get them from Paul in his letters. We get them from Jesus and from the gospel writers in the four gospels. And I'm firmly firmly convinced that all of these rules and guidelines are outlined because they encountered the very problems they're addressing when they were trying to establish the early church. It's like how laws are made. It's because at one point in human history, someone did something and everyone else thought it was really bad. And so they decided to make it illegal and they crafted a law about it. I don't think the gospel writers and Paul would have wasted time addressing problems that they didn't encounter. So why does Jesus give us a four-step process of how to address conflict when a member of the church sins against you? Because they were human too, and they probably hurt each other when they were trying to figure out how to be those early Christ followers. And they probably engaged in what I call triangulation. If you're not familiar with that word, here's what happens. So normally in a fight, you've got two people, A and B, right? And they're mad at each other for whatever reason. And when you triangulate, it means one of those people brings in a third person, C. And they tell that person, you know, you need to get vengeance or you need to tell them this or you need to solve the problem. And then maybe someone else in the original conflict, they bring in another person, So now you have D, and now you have all these triangles and all this misinformation. It is not the way to address problems because miscommunication and rumors, misunderstandings escalate, and so does the problem. And this is exactly what that campaign manager was trying to do to me. Me, the poor, innocent pastor, you know, she was like, you go tell them what they need to do. And I said, no, you need to talk to each other directly. Because that's the first step Jesus advises us to do in the text we heard this morning. It says, if another member of the church sins against you, you go talk to them directly. But that doesn't always work, right? They might deny any wrongdoing. They might be defensive. And so if you're not able to resolve the problem, Jesus says, then you bring in a few more people. Now, this is not to like marshal up your allies and attack your enemy. That's not the reason you get more people involved. Because if someone's defensive when one person accuses them of something, well, if the other person comes back with a whole group of folks, 
then the offender will probably be even more defensive, right? Because they'll really feel attacked. So Jesus says you get more people involved so they can act as mediators and arbiters and make sure that the conversation's fair, that everyone is able to speak their piece, that we use I statements, and we're able to reach a resolution that we can all agree to. If that still doesn't work, and the person who's harmed you is not amenable to any kind of resolution, then Jesus says you get the whole church involved. So I'll stop here for a minute, (laughs) because... The early church, the structure and organization did not look exactly like Naples United Church of Christ. So hypothetically, if there were ever a conflict or a fight between two of our church members, it's never happened before, but if it did, I would not recommend calling a congregational meeting about it. Okay, I don't think that would solve the problem. But there is wisdom in Jesus' advice. It's important for us to know why he tells us to get the whole church involved. And the reason is because when two members of a church sin against one another, it's not only between them. Theological harm is done to the entire body. And everyone has a vested interest in healing and repairing that relationship. When we enter this cycle of sin and confrontation and repentance and forgiveness, what's at stake is the presence of God in our midst and how we understand ourselves to be Christians. If we think we are the body of Christ with Christ as the head, then we are beholden to and accountable to one another. We are not free from each other. We are made free when we are in right relationship with one another. It's not that conflict doesn't happen. It does because we're human and we mess up. But how we address it is a reflection of our spiritual maturity. And so Jesus says in the version we heard this morning, when a member of the church sins against you. But he's not talking about, you know, when someone you see three times a year in the hallway says something kind of offensive. That's not the kind of harm he's talking about. In other biblical translations, He uses the words, when a brother or sister sins against you. And that indicates the depth of the relationship. When someone you're close to, when you love, whose families you know, who you've been in ministry with for a long time, when they cut you deep, when they say something that really stings and hurt you, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, we have to address it. Because if we don't address it, It's corrosive. It doesn't only affect those two people. It's one crack in the foundation of the church. And then you might have other cracks and other unaddressed conflict. And it splinters. And churches have closed because conflict went unresolved. Because people didn't address it in a healthy, mature way. Or because their pastor was conflict avoidant. It affects the foundation of the church. And so Jesus says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present there among you. It's not where two or three are gathered in my name who are getting along and having fun and loving one another. Even if you're in the presence of someone who you can't stand, who you're so mad at, Jesus is there. If you each believe he's present, that's all we need. So what if after we've been harmed, And we're thinking about how we're going to address this with the person who wronged us. What if we prayed for them and their welfare and their well-being? 
Or what if once we sit at the table with them, before we address the issue at hand, we pray together? How might our conversation and our resolution change if we take steps to remind ourselves of the presence of Christ in our midst, especially when we're having those really hard conversations? I will be the first to acknowledge that this is not easy stuff. And it requires vulnerability and risk. Because when you go up to someone and you tell them, I've been hurt, it opens you up to the potential for more hurt. Because they might not respond to you the way you would have hoped. And it's risky. But what is at stake is so great, the health and vitality of the church, that it is worth trying. And sometimes the damage is too great. We've seen it before. Sometimes we're just not able to unclench our fists of anger and we can't come to that place of forgiveness. And one or both people sometimes leave the church. It's awful. But sometimes we're able to reach resolution and heal the relationship. And what happens on the other side is that the connection between the two people is stronger than before. Because they invested the time and energy into healing the damage that was done because they both saw the value in their relationship with each other. So thankfully, the both members of both campaigns were willing to sit down at the table and talk. And they both aired their grievances. And no one was happy with how that campaign season for town moderator was going. And they came to resolution about what was permissible and what wasn't. And going forward... The campaign was a lot more civil. Throughout the whole election cycle, everyone continued to come to church each week. They didn't sit near each other in the sanctuary, but they showed up. No one lost their church home. They're both still active members of the church today. And the person who did not win the election for town moderator became the church moderator. (laughs) So in a way, everybody won. Now I know That conflict is not always resolved in such a pretty and tidy way so we can put a bow on it. I totally hear that. But it can be. Because all you need is two people who are gathered who believe Christ is present among them. You don't need a sanctuary. You don't need an organ or hymnals or Bibles or chandeliers. You don't even need a clergy person. All you need is two people who believe Christ is present in their midst to try to solve the conflict. And the good news is that with Christ, all things are possible. Amen. Gracious God, by faith, your people have brought forth gifts this day. Use these gifts, O God, to build up this, your body of Christ, the church. Where it is faithful, multiply it. Gracious God, continue to create a church where more heaven will come to earth through these gifts, and through all the efforts of your people. Amen. Ideally, we would all get along all the time. But when conflict arises, may you have the courage and the faith to address it, knowing that what harms one harms us all. And may you never forget that you are a beloved child of God. You are created in God's image. And I pray that you go from this place in peace. Amen.